text for our fourth message in this series, very simple words that come from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. These words, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. So far, God's word. Let's pray. Lord, may now the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's message simply titled, No Regrets, question mark. Um, the question is whether you have any regrets. Now, I don't know if you ever listen to people when they're talking about their past. But quite often when I hear people talking about their past, I've actually heard people say, you know, I have no regrets, none at all. I wouldn't go back and change a single thing in my life, even if I could. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear something like that. I, I know that when I hear that, I always kind of think, how is that possible? I mean, how is it possible that you, an imperfect person, prone to sin, could not have any regrets? It kind of strikes me that it's almost psychopathic to have no regrets at all. That's because we've all done things that we, that any reasonable person should regret. There's not a single person here today uh, that has not hurt someone close to us with unkind words or thoughtless actions. We've all ignored opportunities to do good when those opportunities arose. We've all made decisions that were based on greed or selfishness. Uh, we've, all made, uh, we've all cut corners that we had no business cutting. We have engaged in gossip. And we've all been unfairly critical and opportunistically dishonest. In fact, if you would allow me to quote a couple of Bible passages, I guess we could say, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Or if you like another one, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. See, we've all done things that any reasonable person uh, would regret. Uh, I mean, it's endemic to the human race. The question is, what will we do with the regrets that we have? I mean, some people will do almost anything they possibly can to escape the feeling of regret. I mean, sometimes they will try to uh, justify their actions. You hear people say, well, yeah, uh, I may have made a slight mistake, uh, but it was only because you did ten things wrong first. Or, yes, I may have said something I shouldn't have said, uh, but it was only because you pushed, pushed me to the limits. You just pushed my buttons one too many times. Or, yes, I exploded in anger, but it was only because the situation demanded it. Or, yes, I may have bent the rules <coughs> a little bit, but everyone does it, and I don't bend them near as far as everybody else. So we are trying to justify our actions. Other people deal with regret by trying to bury them or drown them. And usually when they do this, they do it with more bad behavior, like with alcohol or drugs or food or parties or video games or unhealthy obsession with work or television or some other all-consuming hobby. Anything to avoid feeling that you don't want to feel. 
and some other people deal with regrets, not by escaping, but kind of wallowing in them, like a pig in a pig pit. Uh, I've had people come and talk to me about something's going on in their life, and it's kind of like, oh, woe is me. Uh, I'm such a wretched person. I, I'm such a failure. I, I've ruined everything. Everything I touch is bad. And so I, I'm no good to God. I'm no good to anybody else. I'm just going to plod through life with my head down and my shoulders slumped. And I'm going to remind myself day after day after day of every terrible mistake that I have ever, ever made. Woe is me. Well, maybe they think by doing that, by beating themselves up, or that they're somehow taking responsibility for their actions and they're adopting an attitude of repentance, but there's a much better way to deal with those past feelings that you still carry around. Now, we're in the last week, the fourth week of this series, the four faces of forgiveness or the four sides of forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about forgiving the person that is most difficult of all to forgive. That's you. That's me. Forgiving ourselves. And when we talk about regrets, this is what we're really talking about. The inability to forgive yourself for bad things that you know you've done. So if we're going we're gonna to deal with regret and struggle to forgive ourselves, <clears throat> there are a few things that we need to do. And here's the first thing. We need to make sure that you have sought forgiveness from God and other people. I've known countless numbers of people who have come and told me of some things that they had done. And I've asked whether they've asked for forgiveness. And they, their reply is something like, uh, from who? <laughs> well, we could start with God. If you ask God for forgiveness, it's like, Gee, I don't know if I want to talk to him about it. And I said, so you kind of think God doesn't know about it yet? Um, I said, God knows about it. And I said, I'm sure that the other person that maybe you sinned against probably knows it too. You know, as we talked way back in week one, if you're here for the very first message, God does not withhold his forgiveness from us. He is ready, willing, and able to forgive. That's who God is. He's the ultimate forgiver of sins. And when he forgives, if you remember week one, I told you that he forgives once and for all and forever. Now, you may also remember from week number one that if you want to be forgiven, you have been through the blood of Jesus the Christ. You just need to reach out and receive it. Uh, there are two great Bible passages that I always think of when it comes to forgiveness. One of these is from 1 John. I always love this verse. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we actually come to grips with that, we've done something wrong, and we come and confess it, Lord, I've done wrong, God, he, he is, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or if you like an Old Testament passage instead, Jeremiah 31, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. <clears throat> you may remember that we talked about how God says, I will forget, I will forget them. Now, we're not very good at forgetting. God will throw them behind himself. Uh, like, I ask you, how far do you think God can throw? Well, I think he throw pretty far. Or it's as far as the east is from the west. There's just no telling. So if you're struggling with any regret in life and having a hard time kind of forgiving yourself for things of the past, you need to make sure that, first of all, you've settled it with God. Seek his forgiveness. And if necessary, seek the forgiveness of other people. 
like I said last week, you can't be right with God and stay wrong with other people. Normally on Saturday night and sometimes on Sunday morning, I put a little teaser on my Facebook page about what the sermon is. I always put something on Sunday morning that says, uh, from today's sermon. I just pull out a, a few sentences from the sermon. And I put this one up last week. You can't be right with God and stay wrong with others. Uh, I don't know whether you'd be surprised or not the number of private messages I got who thanked me for that and said well, I'm not, things like, I'm not going to go into detail, but I have felt all along that I'm pretty good with God and yet I've been pretty nasty with other people. I think I need to change that. See, if you want to be forgiven, you have been, but you can't be right with God and stay wrong with other people. So if your regrets, whatever they may be, involve other people, own up to it. Seek some reconciliation. And if all possible, make amends for whatever you've done. And not only will this make you right with God, it makes you right with other people, it begins to make you even right with yourself. When you know that you've done all you can to settle matters with God and with others, it's easier to settle matters with yourself. Now, here's the second thing I'd suggest. You need to understand that forgiving yourself is not optional. Forgiving yourself is included in what I would call the believer's forgiveness mandate. See, we are required as followers of Jesus to forgive everybody. I mean, that's even what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Forgive others in the same manner in which we uh, uh, forgive us in the same manner in which we forgive other people. And if we are call ourselves Christ's followers, we are to forgive everybody. And as far as I know, everybody includes who? You, yourself. I mean, just as it, it would be wrong to refuse to forgive someone who comes to you asking for forgiveness, it's also wrong not to forgive yourself. See, just as wrong as it is to withhold forgiveness from someone that God has forgiven, it's wrong to withhold forgiveness from yourself. One of my favorite Christian writers is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote something that's kind of interesting. He said, if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. See, friends, God in his mercy has forgiven you. He's forgiven me. I announced the forgiveness of God to you before in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as part of our confession. But if you're beating yourself up day after day over things that you did two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, whatever, I just say, move on, build a bridge, get over it. Seek forgiveness, offer forgiveness, forgive yourself, whatever. Now, I don't know how much you all know about church history. I mean, most people know a lot of Bible stories. Maybe you remember one of the key leaders of the early church. He had an extremely shameful past. Uh, His name was Peter. In the Gospels, we see that he was just a little bit flaky. Uh, Sometimes he was rather prone to stick both of his sandals in his mouth before he ever started speaking. He was very impulsive. He had the great ability to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and a, and a great tendency towards saying the wrong thing after saying the right thing. And in fact, one time, Jesus actually gave him a different name, and the different name was not Rocky or Cephas or Simon. I don't know if you remember the other name Jesus gave him. It was Satan. Get behind me, Satan. 
See, Peter's greatest shame came on the night before Jesus died. Jesus asked Peter to pray for him, along with a few other disciples, and what did, G- what did Peter do? Fell asleep. Later, after Jesus had been arrested, Peter denied ever having even been a follower or even having known Jesus. And even after all of his big promises and all of his bold promises, one time he actually told Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But in spite of all of those bold promises, when things got real, Peter turned his back on Jesus and ran away like a little boy. Now, afterwards, of course, you know how it goes on. He was overcome with shame and regret. And when he realized what he had done, Luke chapter 22 says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, I have heard those stories of Peter many, many times. I mean, I grew up in the church. I mean, kindergarten through college, I I was in the church. My grandpa was the janitor of St. John's Lutheran Church School and Parish Hall. I was always in a Christian community. I, you know, had, you know, eight years, I can you, nine years counting kindergarten of a Lutheran elementary education, uh, a Lutheran high school, Lutheran college. I have heard the story of Peter so many times. But what I always hear were the stories about how he denied Jesus, how he abandoned Jesus at the arbor's death, and... Somehow, I always kind of thought that Peter must have spent the remainder of his life always trying to live that shame down and the embarrassment that went along with being called a coward. In fact, I wondered, I always wondered sometimes if he was, it felt kind of bad that Jesus actually called him Rocky, you know, a stone upon this rock I'll build my church. But, but then as I got older, as I began reading more of the New Testament, not just those little Sunday school stories that we, we keep on teaching, I couldn't believe that the man who wrote First and Second Peter um, was the same Peter uh, that was denying and turning his back on Jesus and all those other things. Because when you read First and Second Peter, uh, he, Peter, he has an air of authority about him. He, he preached with such great power on the day of Pentecost and he performed a lot of great miracles in Acts chapter, in Acts. I just couldn't believe sometimes that this was the same guy who had been a traitor from the gospel stories. Now, the truth is that Peter could have gone his whole life uh, bearing this kind of a scarlet letter of the person who denied Jesus. It could have been all he ever thought about or all he ever talked about, but that's not how he ended up living life. Uh, He let his mistakes of the past go because he knew that God had also let them go. God had thrown them behind his back. God had buried him in the sea. God put him as far away as the east is from the west. God had forgiven him once and for all and forever. And when he understood that God could do that, he went about his business being a leader in God's church, knowing that he had been forgiven and that he could forgive himself and move on. But now, compare Peter to another guy roughly in the same story. His name was Judas. Uh, Judas uh, betrays Jesus, which ultimately leads to his um, arrest and crucifixion and death. Now, after Judas realized what he had done, he did not try to gain forgiveness from God, and he could not bear to forgive himself. So what did he do? He took his own life. He committed suicide. Now, it goes without saying, I'm going to say it though anyway, if you have a past that still haunts you, God wants you to deal with it the way Peter did, not the way Judas did. I just wanted to say that, get that out of the way. You need to forgive yourself just as you forgive other people. 
You need to forgive yourself just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's not optional if he's forgiven you and through the blood of his son, then it's time for you to get over it and forgive yourself. Now, here's the third part of it. The process of forgiving yourself is the same as the process of forgiving others. Again, if you go back and remember week number two, we talked about the need to forgive other people. And there's no question about it. God expects us to forgive one another without reservation. And, and we talked about some of the steps we need to take. Um, I'm going to help you a little bit, but we talked about how it's a good idea to learn to set up some boundaries and a system of accountability so you don't keep getting hurt by the same person over and over again. Uh, if you're struggling with regrets and you're struggling to forgive yourself, well, you need to take those same steps and apply them to yourself. If you want to be free from your past, there's something that's bugging you, create some boundaries for yourself. Uh, create a system of accountability so you don't be like uh, the proverb says, like a dog who returns to his own vomit time after time. See, it's easier to let go of the sins of the past when you know that you've taken steps that will prevent it from ever happening again in the future. And again, back in week two, uh, we talked about forgiving others. We also talked about how important it is to stop talking about the sin. Boy, I tell you, some people, I, I don't know, it's like their national pastime to always bring it up. Always bring it up. And sometimes if we're not doing that to other people, we're doing it for ourselves. We need to stop from throwing in everybody else's face the details of their bad behavior, and we also need to do it for ourselves. We need to extend that same courtesy to ourselves. If you have confessed your sins to God, you have sought to make things right with other people, move on. Stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. But does that always work? I saw this graphic on Facebook not long ago. It said, me, says, let me sleep. My brain says, LOL, no, let's stay awake and remember every stupid decision you made in your life. And you responded by saying, okay. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? This is kind of a strange thing about 3 o'clock in the morning, isn't it? I don't know if you ever have the 3 a.m.s. Uh, you wake up in the middle of the night. Maybe you go get a drink of water, maybe you go to the bathroom, and then you lay down, and suddenly your eyes are wide open, and your mind is racing, and you start reliving all kinds of bad stuff or reliving stuff over and over again. Now, do you know who's behind that stinking thinking? The Bible calls him the accuser. It may be tempting to listen to him. Uh, he can present what appears on the surface, at least, to be pretty solid case sometimes, but ultimately, as the Bible also calls him, he's the father of lies. Don't give him another minute of your time. Romans chapter 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Learn to think like Jesus. Or in Ephesians, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God. But friends, you cannot renew your mind if you're st still spending all of your time reliving the junk from your past. I mean, God's Spirit is working through you uh, when you're at your best, and He's using the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in you to change and to change your mind. Now, when I want to, if I want to stop and never think about what my past has been like, I don't have any trouble doing that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, there are times when Satan brings back stuff that 
it was really pretty stupid that I and my friends did. I mean, we weren't called the Rat Pack for nothing. And every time I start, I think about them anymore. I just I, the first thing I do is like, that was really dumb. I you know I can I can come up with all kinds of reasons why we did it. I can come up with all kinds of reasons we shouldn't. But I also decided I wasn't going to bother about it anymore. You know, whatever we did was wrong, been confessed, forgiven, and you just move on with it. Now, today, I, I, want, I want you to see that you have permission. You actually have permission to forgive yourself. That may sound odd. I mean, I'm not sure you'd look in the mirror and say, you, yeah, I'm talking to you. I forgive you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But yeah, forgive yourself. Because God has already forgiven you through the blood of Jesus. And you've done what you can to make things right. You want to make sure that your heart is brand new. You want to be sure that your life is set from the chains that have been holding you back. Now, I spoke earlier about the Apostle Peter. There's another guy. He is the Apostle Paul. Did you know he had a past as well? And we know him today as the great missionary uh, the church planter, the soul winner, the pastor, the evangelist, the theologian, uh, the prisoner for the cause of Christ. But we need to remember him also as somebody who also wrote half, nearly half the books of the New Testament, some of them while he was in chains in prison. Now, he's a hero of the Christian faith, but before he was Paul the Apostle, his name was Saul, and in those days he was an enemy of the Christian faith. Or rather, he considered him anyone who followed Jesus to be his enemy. He was actively involved in persecuting Christians, rounding them up, arresting them, having them put into prison. And we know that he was directly connected to the death of at least one man, and that's Stephen, and possibly many other people. But one day, you know that on the way to Damascus, for the sole purpose of wreaking more havoc on the church, he had a life-changing, one-on-one, personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, and he was never, ever the same again. And for 30 years or so after that life-changing experience, he wrote these words. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, when I talk about letting go of your regrets, forgiving yourself for the wrongs you've done, I'm not talking about whitewashing the past or pretending that it never happened or acting as if uh, none of it matters because it does matter. That's the cold, hard truth. There's a sense in which our past will always be with us. And so the idea of saying, I have no regrets at all, is not really realistic, nor is it responsible, nor is it healthy. We've all sinned, and therefore it's reasonable that we should all have, to some degree, regrets. So forgiving yourself is not about having no regrets. It's about having no unresolved regrets. See, God wants you to confront those things in your past that sometimes haunt you. He wants you to confess to him and to others. And he wants you to make amends when it's possible to make amends. And then he wants you to keep moving forward into the life that he's created for you. And that's why he's given you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to justify your regrets. 
Don't try to bury them with more bad behavior. Don't wallow in them either by telling yourself that what's done is done and you've got to carry the weight of the world for the rest of your life. Instead, just resolve them. One-on-one with God, one-on-one with other people when necessary, and then let go so you can live the life that God created you to live. And maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea to take part of this Bible passage, 1 Corinthians 15.10, and write it out in a little postcard and put it somewhere where you can see it every day. You may need to learn to say like Paul, this is what I did, this is part of my history. But like him, you'll also be able to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. May God grant that for all of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.